Welcome to Passports and Pizza, a podcast about everything by two carb-loving, carry-on-only gals. I'm Laura, a traveler and teacher with an appetite for adventure. And I'm Sarah, an artist and food blogger who travels mainly for the food. Join us as we dive into anything and everything that's on our plates and on our minds. Okay. Well, I just told you that our school's been closed down because we had too many COVID cases. So I've been teaching from home today and I'll be teaching from home tomorrow. So I feel like kind of more energized than I normally do because like I could feel, I feel like I could just like run to Target like right now. (laughs) I don't know. Like I don't, I feel like I, yeah, I don't know. I have extra energy today. I, I just feel like we don't realize how much energy we exhaust on social interactions sometimes. So Uh I, yeah, that's so that, that's what's going on here. What about you? I don't know. Honestly, I feel like a little scatterbrained. <laughs> I feel that. So what makes you feel like you're scatterbrained? I don't know. It's just been like one of those weeks. Like the week's going by like kind of fast. I've been kind of busy. Just I just kept being like, oh, yeah, we're recording tonight. Yeah, Am me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, literally, I literally was just like, oh, my God, I have to think of a recommendation like now. Because you texted me like <laughs> 10 minutes ago. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. It's one of those days. So. It is. Shall we get to our salty sweets? Yeah, which we were both saying earlier, it was really hard for both of us to think of them this time. It's, yeah, it's like a good thing because it's like, oh, I nothing immediately comes to mind for a salty this week. But it's also mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't know. It's been one of those weeks. Like you said, I feel like I'm also just like going with the flow and like, here we are. It's time to record. And I haven't really thought about it the way I normally do. So anyway, (laughs) yeah. Do you want to share your lame salty? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) We both have lame salties. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lame salty. And like, it might have even been a salty of mine previously. Uh, But it's basically just like, why does... Everything you have to do, like, adulting-wise, takes so long. Like, my weeknights, I feel like all I do is, like, get home, you know, you kind of unpack from the day, change in your comfies, make dinner, clean up dinner, pack lunch, walk the dog, and then, like, boom, it's, like, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, what happened to my night? But then also, I love to work out in the morning, but... I have like a hard and fast rule that unless I go to bed on time for a morning workout, I don't get up for a morning workout because sleep is more important. So, but then when I have these nights that just get away from me and then I go to bed late and I can't work out in the morning, but then the next day I have something going on in the evening, so I can't work out in the evening or whatever. So, and then, you know, three days pass and you're like, crap. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, just that whole grind is... Annoying. I think I think all jobs should end at two o'clock p.m. <laughs> just yeah. like let everyone because you know the productivity yeah. is just like completely oh plummeting. Gosh. So Seriously. we all leave at two, and then we have that afternoonish time to unwind. You know, prep some dinner, and then you have your actual evening. Can we all just right. agree to that? Can we just yeah. do that? Let's just agree to it. But yesterday was basically like this summer day in April, even though it we had like flurries last week or whatever. Um, it was like 85 degrees yesterday. And yeah, I went I for a run after work. 
and it just felt really nice. I was like pretending it was July, you know, and also like, (laughs) I'm like, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Um, But, you know, as it's been warming up, I've been trying to run, you know, when the weather's nice, but because I'm old, my knee really does hurt if it's like below 70 degrees. (laughs) Our joints matter now. Like, our joints actually are a thing. Yeah. So, I did not have to stop running at all yesterday because my knee was hurting. Because it was, like, 85 degrees, which is when my body likes to run. So. Nice. Is that that your sweet? (laughs) Yeah. That was, like, the highlight. No joint pain. (laughs) We're really living large here. I know. What's your lame salty of the week? Uh, my lame salty is similar to yours, like house expenses. You know, when it rains, it pours. Um, mm-hmm. We had our water just decide not to work. Um, yeah. So that was fun. Coming home, no water. And I was like, great. And that was fine. But that happened. And then shortly after, we got a notice from our insurance that they were going to cancel our home insurance because of a roof um I don't know. They said they, they claimed that our roof, like tiles were falling off totally inaccurate new roof before we even bought it. Like literally three months before we bought it, they bought it. They like installed a new roof. So anyway, I have a drone and I said, Oh no, honey. Oh no, no, no. (laughs) So I, I, I took a whole evening flying a drone up, taking pictures of my roof in the freezing cold. Cause it was like that day was like, blurrying Uh outside so anyway it was a disaster but uh luckily it just feels like all these house things just keep happening and it's like does Mm -hmm. this ever end does this ever end it never ends (laughs) yeah um Mm -hmm. so yeah that was my salty my sweet is that i'm taking this grad class called understanding today's students and i am freaking loving this class because it's all about the psychology of gen z And it's been really enlightening and fun to read about. And it gives me a whole new perspective of my students and (laughs) their general like perspective and mindset about the world. And I don't know, you guys, Gen Z is really where it's at. Like we need to follow their lead. It's fascinating, especially if you love like stats and psychology and stuff like that. So yeah, Yeah, it's been really fun. I loved sociology classes and stuff. Super interesting. Yeah, so I'm really awesome. enjoying that. Can you imagine enjoying grad class? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. That's a good sign. Yeah. That you're doing speaking, something. Right. Speaking of stats and data and science and stuff, yeah. do you want to segue into our guest today? Yeah, so as you guys know, I love to talk about gut health. <laughs> Sarah's the niche poop influencer. We all know this. If you listen, you know. Um, but our guest today is Phoebe Lapine, who is basically the person who helped me get super nerdy about all this stuff in the first place. So we are talking to her about all things gut health. And her new book that's out is specifically about this condition called SIBO, which we obviously get into. But please do not write this off if you're like, I don't have that problem because we get into all kinds of gut health stuff that with tips for everybody. So, and hey, if you listen to this podcast, we know that you eat food, which means that you also digest food. So 
this applies to everybody. And hopefully you guys learn something and find it interesting because I, yeah. mean, I definitely do. If you've ever thought to yourself, something's wrong with my stomach, take a listen. Because we've all been there. So We've all been there. We're yeah. all like, I don't, I'm yeah. not so sure about this. Exactly. And literally, like Sarah and Phoebe are in it, right? They have, they have so much knowledge about SIBO and gut health that I didn't. But just going through the interview, too, as sort of an outsider, um, it was very interesting to hear about how our body works and also how digestion basically is this like whole universe inside of us that we can control a little better if we do a few things. So anyway, yep. really fascinating. Definitely. So yes, love it. Yeah. So we're going to jump to that now. Phoebe Lapine is a writer and advocate for those suffering with the autoimmune disease Hashimoto's thyroiditis and the self-taught gluten-free chef behind the award-winning food blog Feed Me Phoebe. She is the host of a podcast about gut health called SIBO Made Simple, which is also the name of her newest book. It offers 90 healing recipes and practical strategies to rebalance your gut for good. She has a knack for taking ideas in the world of wellness and making them feel both approachable and achievable. And I like to refer to her as my wellness fairy godmother. Phoebe, <laughs> welcome to Passports and Pizza. Thanks for having me. That was such a lovely intro. <laughs> Thank you. I want a fairy godmother. <laughs> yeah, so um, just a little background on how your book the Wellness Project, which is a memoir that you wrote, I read at like such a pivotal moment in my life where my health had reached this all-time low where I was just so distraught and confused about like what was going on with me. And I related to so much in your book and that book convinced me to go off the pill for good and to go off of caffeine for good and countless other things. Um, and then... As I was following you more closely online, it was around the time that you started oh talking about SIBO, which is the topic of your new book. And I was one of those followers of yours yeah. who was like, wait a minute, uh, you're describing my existence. What is this thing I've never heard of? And, you know, now here I am, a gut health nerd <laughs> yeah. who I, I was um, cracking up because the one part of your book you talk about... Um, being at like cocktail hour at a wedding, talking to yeah. someone about like IBS and gut health and stuff. And I'm That's like, literally Sarah. To I, a that tea. is me. Well, like, I mean, it's better than now that I've like written a book and I, I haven't had the experience of being at a party in a long time. But even before then, when I started talking about SIBO, it's just like you get anyone else drunk at a party and all they want to do is talk to me about their poop. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. It's true. Well, that's the other Double thing. Double-edged sword. Like, noticed um which I definitely want to ask you because like I have this theory that most Americans have IBS which yeah. we'll get into because w whenever I talk to anybody about like you know I was explaining you know the diet I was on or what I was dealing with and they would be like yeah I kind of have that problem too or like I have this thing and it's like weird it's like Basically, I don't, I think most Americans do not have good digestion and no. we're all just living with it when we could be dealing with it, you know? Yes. 
I mean, most people don't even pay that much attention to what's happening in the toilet when they go to yes, the bathroom. That is true. Yeah. That's that's my end of things. I'm just not tuning in at all. But I'm hoping to change for the better. Yeah. So, Phoebe, can you sort of give us an introduction on your wellness journey and how um, what led you to becoming a gut health expert? Oh, man. Um, I still don't consider myself a complete expert. But um, essentially, as Sarah mentioned, I wrote this book called The Wellness Project that was very much based off of my real life experiment um, on myself, making one change one month at a time across a whole lot of wellness problem areas of mine from hydration to sleep to stress management to like cleaning up my makeup products and personal care products um, to so many other things. Um, Also gut health, of course. Um, So over the course of that um, experience, I really did think that I had become more or less a gut health expert (laughs) because I had done a lot of research. And then the book came out. Um, I really did. You know, it was a success. My blood work was, you know, night and day so much better. I was feeling so much better. Um, Then the book came out. Launching a book is a very stressful process. I was doing a lot of traveling. I was doing the best I could to like use the toolkit I had built over the course of my wellness project to, you know, offset some of that stress. Um, but I don't think it worked completely because then about like, you know, a few months later in the fall when I was like just starting to slow down, I was starting noticing like, hmm, you know, my IBS symptoms have cropped up again. And like, they're a little bit different than I've ever experienced. Like I'm burping a lot during meals. Um, My bloating kind of like never goes away. Like maybe in the morning, like I look okay before I've had anything to eat, but then it just like swells right out. And like, I kind of always have this pouch. Um, So eventually I just went back to my doctor for a workup and he had me do a SIBO breath test. And I'd never heard of that before. I had heard of SIBO, but I didn't know a ton about it. And, you know, spoiler alert, got a positive diagnosis. And then, you know, I was kind of down that rabbit hole and the crazy thing was is that there just weren't that many resources. My doctor is great, you know, obviously like my case is a best case scenario. Like he got the test right away, like diagnosed me, put me on um kind of a quote unquote natural protocol of different herbs, gave me, you know, like a two-page printout of like various, you know, lifestyle things to change and some like ancillary supplements that might help, um, and like a page on the low FODMAP diet and whatnot. Um, but like, I don't know, that's just never enough, you know? And I think people need to understand that, that like even the best functional medicine doctors like are not going to hold your hand through this whole Mm -hmm. process. Like you're going to have to be your own advocate and do a lot, not necessarily a lot of your own research, but, you know, kind of fill in the gaps yourself, um, and take on that agency or, work with a nutritionist or someone else on your team who will hold your hand. Um, So I kind of just went off and, you know, dove down the internet rabbit hole trying to find solutions. And I found just everything on SIBO to be so confusing and contradictory. And yeah, just it just kept on like opening up new 
conundrums and new conditions that kind of dovetailed with SIBO. And I, I learned a lot in the process about different areas of health and certainly about my own digestive system that had never really come up in my previous research. Um, so it was really, really fascinating. I ended up writing a few posts on my website on, you know, just what I was doing, like a three-part series. And it was just nuts. Like the they took off immediately. And I was just shocked, I think, because, you know, people were just craving some really concrete, easy to understand, like multi-step yeah. <laughs> approaches yeah. um, written by a human being without a medical degree. Um, mm-hmm. And so that kind of was just a clue to me. I'm always kind of going where, um, you know, I feel that resources are needed or writing the resources that I wish I had had when I was, you know, going through something. That's kind of how all of my books came to be. It was like I wrote the book <laughs> that I wish I had had during a certain struggle. Um, so yeah, I started a podcast just to kind of like talk to all these super niche <laughs> experts and like answer all of my many questions that I couldn't find answers to online or in like their previous interviews. And it was supposed to be a 12 episode podcast that was just like, you know, you get diagnosed, you listen, you know, soup to nuts, one to 12, you know what to do. And then as I said, you know, the layers of the onion just kept on unraveling. And so I kept on like having more subjects that I wanted to cover. And 50 episodes later, I finally, you know, decided to to shut the door on that. Um, now that there's this book for people to have, but it's crazy. I mean, there's still certain topics that I wish I'd covered and I didn't. And maybe I will one day. We'll see. Yeah. Well, okay, so let's back up a little bit for our listeners who, like most people, are like, what the heck is SIBO? What are you talking about? So can you give us a rundown, Yes. Uh, you know, as much as you can to kind of give an idea of what SIBO actually is? Yes. So SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and it's said that over 60% of all IBS cases are actually being caused by SIBO. And I think that's really exciting because IBS is the most, you know, prevalent diagnosis, GI diagnosis in the world, not all diagnosis. Um, and it's really just a descriptor of symptoms. It's not really an answer. Um, there's been a lot of research, of course, around IBS since it has been, you know, a big diagnostic term for a long time. But, you know, SIBO itself is a much more well understood mechanism, although it's newer. So there's still a lot of research that's emerging on the solutions. Um, But what happens is it's kind of a sign that something has gone wrong in the body, not a disease in and of itself, kind of similar to IBS. Um, But essentially, you know, people talk about gut health a lot and like the gut microbiome just like throw those terms around but the reality is that most of your beneficial flora are in your large intestine every kind of aspect of your digestive system has its own ecosystem but the small intestine has usually like a very small population of bacteria it's not really designed to withstand um, more than a small amount because it's kind of where you absorb all of your nutrients so when there's you know a large population of bacteria where it's not supposed to be in the small intestines, they are kind of competing for your nutrients. And when they eat your food, they release gas. And since that gas is now like so far from an exit ramp, 
it can get trapped and make you super, super uncomfortable. Um, so hence why I was burping a lot because that is another exit ramp and it was just trying to find anywhere <laughs> that it could get. But more often than not, kind of like the hallmarks uh, symptom of SIBO is just like really uncomfortable bloating and distension that like is pressing up against your ribs. And that's, you know, it overlaps with, with IBS, which like the four main criteria are abdominal bloating, pain, cramping, um, gas, diarrhea, constipation, a mixture of the two. Um, so that's very much, you know, the symptom profile of SIBO, but then you kind of get into a whole other list of kind of more autoimmune spectrum-y symptoms because, what can happen when there's too much bacteria in your small intestines is they can actually damage the lining of your intestines and cause either pieces of the bacteria themselves or various food particles to kind of uh, pass through the barrier into your bloodstream. And that is kind of what, well, it's what we call leaky gut or intestinal permeability, but that is kind of a root cause of a lot of different inflammatory issues. Um, mm. So SIBO has a huge relationship with autoimmune disease. It's kind of unclear what the specific mechanisms are, but if you look at kind of root causes of SIBO, you'll see a lot of autoimmune diseases. And um, yeah, for whatever reason, you know, SIBO, sorry, for whatever reason, auto, many autoimmune diseases contribute to SIBO, put you at risk for SIBO. And then like conversely, because of the leaky gut connection, SIBO can be a risk factor for many autoimmune diseases. So, so it's like a vicious cycle. That just... Everything's a vicious cycle in the SIBO world. I have a lot of <laughs> diagrams in the book that are like mm-hmm. flow charts. Yeah, they're very helpful. <laughs> oh, good. Um, yeah, because your, your book is like so chock full of information. And as I was looking at it, I was like, man, this is insane to me that I know the author of this book didn't know anything about this like a couple years ago and now she's written this incredibly informative like tome about this very specific thing but also like gut health in general so also for anyone listening even if you don't have SIBO we're going to cover a lot of stuff that really applies to just gut health and IBS and all those things that what I think most of us deal with (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) But one of the things I think I've really taken from like everything I've learned from you from following you with this stuff is how like, uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I have IBS or or like I had a doctor tell me I had IBS. And yeah. knowing that IBS is really just a name for having these symptoms, but having no actual diagnosis. Yeah. And when my doctor told me that I wanted to be like, yeah, duh, that's why I'm here. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I'm telling you I have these symptoms, I, but I want to know why. And I think that's why IBS can be so frustrating because it's like, okay, but why? Why am I yeah. having this issue? And I think, you know, SIBO is a little more specific. Like, okay, we know the kind of mechanism or something that's going yeah. on. But it's also kind of the same thing where it's like, okay, but why did this yeah. happen? And we need to address that root cause. Yeah. So yeah, can you, can you explain? Yeah. What are, what are some yeah. like root causes? Yeah. Well, that's so important. That's like the number one thing people need to understand. Cause I think a lot of people with IBS who are in similar states of frustration, if they finally get diagnosed with SIBO are like, Oh my God, it's the answer. But you still have to dig even further because yeah. the 
there's a reason you got SIBO. Um, so, okay, they kind of fall into three main buckets. And everything, again, has to do with just the way your digestive system is supposed to function and something going wrong. And unfortunately, in today's modern world, there are so many things that can go wrong. And, you know, so many different autoimmune diseases or conditions or medications can have these unwanted side effects that cause something to go wrong. Um, so the first main bucket has to do with a mechanism called the migrating motor complex, um, which is like the first term you learn once you start diving into the SIBO world. So this is kind of this propulsive street sweeper wave that is responsible for clearing away excess debris after a meal. So your small intestine, super long and windy. It's misnamed, I think. It's much longer than the large intestine. It's got a, a lot of nooks and crannies and opportunities for things to get just like stuck or hang out or for an opportunist like bacteria or fungi to just pull off and decide to build a little shanty town. But the migrating motor <laughs> complex is the main tool that prevents that from happening. So peristalsis is kind of what is like the muscular motion that moves food through your small intestine. But then the street sweeper wave, the MMC, cleans up after the meal. And it only kicks in during a fasting state of 90 minutes or more. So there are a lot of different lifestyle reasons why the migrating motor complex might not be functioning properly. Um, One really small one is like snacking. Like if you're like eating an almonds, like a few almonds every five minutes, like your street sweeper wave is literally never going to kick in. I think that is definitely Um, part of my problem for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'll say this up front because we're going to go through a lot of root causes and you're going to be like, oh my God, me, 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 me. It's, It's rarely, you know just one thing mm-hmm. and oftentimes there's like a tipping point a catalyst event same thing is true of autoimmune disease like the yeah. analogy that my doctor said to me originally was you know with autoimmune disease it's like you spend many many years like adding tim tinder to a box and then all it takes is one thing to light the match and light the whole thing on fire mm-hmm. and i think it's very very similar for SIBO. um so migrating motor complex, you know, something goes awry. One of, so Hashimoto's, by the way, is one of those diseases that would fall into that category because of um, not having enough thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone is very much needed in order to power the migrating motor complex. Um, IBD or any, or or celiac, like kind of those types of autoimmune diseases where there's just so much damage that's caused to the gut, you know, that can have issues there. Then you can have issues with your migrating motor complex or what some people refer to as your motility, your ability to move food through your system. Um, So one of the most um, interesting I think, and probably the most common like catalyst events is food poisoning. And what happens is in kind of your body's immune response, the process of responding to this pathogen, sometimes your body can accidentally attack the nerve cells of your migrating motor complex, and then it becomes stunted. So you have this kind of horrible 24 hours, 48 hour experience. And like, that's the acute, like, you know, time on the toilet, what have you. But then, you know, if you're in this subset of people who get food poisoning, who have this kind of 
mistaken identity issue, then your migrating motor complex kind of goes off the rails and you may not notice, you know, the aftermath of that for many weeks or months as things slowly start to build and as maybe that overgrowth takes shape. So it's often something that people don't necessarily even think of because you're like, oh, did I have food poisoning last month or two months ago? Like, when was that? I had it at some point, but it's not something if you're experiencing IBS symptoms all of a sudden, like, you know, in a few months that you may point to. Some people, you know, have some sort of experience like that and feel like their gut's never the same again. Um, so there are some people who recognize it that way, but that's just something to keep in mind because there is actually a test for it. It's called, um, that diagnosis is called post-infectious IBS, but it's kind of synonymous with SIBO. It's the overgrowth that's being caused by <laughs> the food poisoning. <laughs> um, okay, so then there are structural issues um, with the small intestine. So, you know, something could happen. You could have a kink. Um, that Those are kind of the rare cases. You could have something wrong with your ileocecal valve, which is kind of the back door between the small intestine and the large intestine. A lot of people think misguidedly that, you know, SIBO is an issue of like backflow. That doesn't normally happen if your ileocecal valve is working properly, but mm -hmm. some people have dysfunction with that. So that would be kind of an obvious reason why you would have too much bacteria in your small intestine. Um, but more commonly, you know, structural issues are actually just due to, you know, kind of compression or your small intestine just not moving as freely as they used to. Because again, think about how long and winding it is. And that can happen a lot of the time because of laparoscopic or abdominal surgeries. So um, there's been a lot of data around this with the correlation of SIBO. And it's, you know, it's pretty significant um, because even if you only have like a small scar on the outside, on the inside, you know, your fascia, your tissue is reformed potentially in a way that kind of binds to your organs, constricts them in some ways. And you would never think you know, unless you've been through SIBO, that that was something that needed to be rehabbed. Um, but it's a reality. And again, you know, it, it's probably multiple things. But if you think about it, you know, if you have an issue with your migrating motor complex and a few other things, and then you have something that's kind of like turning your ordinarily like four lane highway into a two lane highway, things can get backed up. Um, so that's kind of the structural bucket. And then there's the whole issue of like, why is bacteria even making it to the small intestines? Because in theory, your stomach acid and lots of your other antimicrobial substances that your body naturally produces is supposed to do that for you to make sure that pathogens don't make it to that leg of the digestive labyrinth. Um, so low stomach acid is a really big overlapping risk factor for SIBO, taking proton pump inhibitors, which, you know, limit your stomach acid. I think it's something like you are 170% more likely to get SIBO if you're taking wow. a proton pump inhibitor. Um, but I would put in that category. So I would call the bucket bacteria not killed. And People who are immunocompromised, that would be in that category as well, because even once it makes it to the small intestine, your immune system usually gets involved if it's a pathogen um, and, you know, make sure that 
you know, at least the populations aren't like breeding and increasing. Um, and then, yeah, any being on any sort of um, drug that would make you immunocompromised, um, trying to think of others, I would put, you know, not having a gallbladder in that category because you're losing, you know, your essential bile acids, again, like your pancreatic enzymes, all these things are, you know, antimicrobial substances <laughs> in and of themselves. Um, so, yeah, as you can see, it's it's pretty varied. I also say, yeah. you know, there are, I mentioned lifestyle issues like stress. Stress is a root cause. Stress limits your stomach acid and can mess with your migrating motor complex. And I get people who message me all the time who say like, what happens if I can't find my root cause? And I'm like, are, are you not stressed? Are you in like 3% of the population who just like magically isn't stressed? Because stress was my root cause. There's nothing else that happened to me that year. It was 100% my book tour and like just being really stressed out and having a lot of these other risk factors like Hashimoto's, which makes yeah. you have low stomach acid and motility issues. You know, it's mm-hmm. it ends up being the perfect storm. But, you know, the tipping point, I'd had Hashimoto's for what, like almost 10 years, like the tipping point was the stress. (laughs) I think what I was like thinking about all these root causes when I was dealing with SIBO, I think I remember thinking something like, oh, it's just like my whole life. My whole life Mm -hmm. is my root cause. But then when you backtrack to like, okay, I have this problem. So what caused that? It was like, oh, is this and that. And it's like, oh my gosh. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Yeah. So I feel like whenever we, whenever I hear about gut health, I think a lot about like diet, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think about gut healthy foods and stuff like that. And I guess my question is how, if you were a beginner just starting out on like gut health, like what, what would be your first steps? And I've heard a lot about how like how restrictive dieting can be really stressful to the body and yeah. how like we, we probably all have taken part in restrictive dieting at some part because it's been constantly fed to us but could you maybe like walk the listeners through like what what are the first steps for gut healthy eating and then also how does restrictive dieting sort of like counteract all that yeah so actually before you even mentioned um the restrictive dieting my first response for a beginner was going to say to diversify your plate as much as possible with as many plants as possible as many different types and ultimately it actually was my biggest lesson of being on a restrictive diet for SIBO. Um, and we can get into the diet question soon, but you know, there's this diet called the low FODMAP diet that is super bizarre and cookie cutter and restrictive, but ultimately it is about kind of quantities of different things. And if you take it in its best, healthiest possible application, it really does teach you to just not eat too much of one thing and to add a lot of smaller portions of different vegetables to your plate, which is consistent with the general, you know, uh, rules of thumb of all gut health. And I think that's kind of the hardest thing about SIBO is that the rules of thumb for greater gut health are sometimes in dire opposition to what you need to do for SIBO because, you know, feeding your good bacteria is what most of the microbiome scientists teach you to do for general gut health. But then with SIBO, you're trying to get rid of a population of sometimes beneficial bacteria. They're just in the wrong place. Um, so often what you have to do for that is very different. I do think that, you know, restrictive dieting for SIBO is a really dangerous slippery slope and not necessary for everyone. And, you know, my kind of 
biggest misconception of SIBO that I always call out is that like diet's actually not going to fix your SIBO necessarily. Like medication probably is in order. Um, maybe if you have a, a mild case, like doing the diet can help. Um, but more often than not, the diet is just really good at managing symptoms and that can trick you into thinking that it's helping with the actual problem, but often it's not, it's just stifling the symptoms. Um, so yeah, for general gut health, it's kind of all back to, you know, thinking about the ecosystem. Like you mentioned, it's getting out into our environment and hugging trees and putting our hands in dirt and making sure that we are exposed to as many different microbes as possible because we can't have tolerance on the inside or diversity on the inside unless we put ourselves out there and have diversity on the outside. I mean, it's like why people in developing countries and nations um like India have such crazy, powerful microbiomes and why Westerners who go to these places come down with parasites because we are like being raised in concrete jungles, like in sterile apartment buildings and everyone else is just like living in fresh air on the street, you know, not necessarily in, in quote unquote nature, but for better or for worse, like exposed to a lot more diversity. Yeah. Well, back to what you were saying about the SIBO diet factor. I think that was one of my biggest light bulb moments that something was really up with me because like when I wasn't feeling well, and then I thought like, I got to start making sure I'm eating well. And like my gut is clearly messed up. So let me eat all these foods that are good for my gut. So then I did (laughs) and I felt awful. And I was like, Clearly, my body is not processing processing this food properly. Like something yeah. is up here. So, can you talk about how like some of the most classically gut healthy foods yeah. are actually the worst for, as you call them, SIBO amigos? Yeah. So it's it can be so frustrating because I again, you know, didn't really know about SIBO. So I was writing about all of these like, mm-hmm. you know, gut friendly food rule, rules of thumb in my last book. So they would be, you know, any uh, fiber rich, especially inulin rich veggie, um, you know, legumes, nuts, seeds, um, artichokes, like anything that's stringy and woody, garlic, onion, shallots are the big ones, the alliums, those are really rich in inulin. Um, cauliflower, like is another big one, you know, anything that's just like really woody, asparagus stems, you know, things like that. Um, think fiber, fiber, fiber. So again, these are things that are going to make you miserable if you have an overgrowth in your small intestine, because you're feeding your bacteria their favorite foods, and then they're going to create more gas and be super happy, and you're going to be more miserable. And this is exactly what I was doing when I like noticed I was having symptoms. I doubled down on what I thought was my to-dos for gut health, and you know, also was drinking a lot of kombucha and fermented foods and taking my probiotics. And yeah, I was just making myself more and more miserable, which is why, you know, yeah, (laughs) which is why I am passionate about like, you know, talking about SIBO because I don't want to convince, you know, everyone out there that they have SIBO, like absolutely not. But I think, you know, with wellness culture and with women already like being prone to disordered eating and just like self-flagellation and just like so Mm -hmm. much pressure on themselves, you know, you watch any kind of general, Instagram wellness influencer and like they're making like cauliflower pizza with cauliflower cheese and sorry, cashew cheese, even cashews are 
really big right. one for SIBO is really tough. Um, and, you know, eating their sauerkraut and all that. And, you know, you're being hit with a probiotic ad at every turn because it's now like a billion dollar industry. You know, it can be really hard to remember to listen to your body. And also when people are just telling you that this is this is healthy, this is how you get good gut health, it can be really hard to take that pause and be like, oh, like, no, this is actually not healthy for me. Everything that these, you know, Harvard trained <laughs> microbiome scientists are saying is like not healthy for me, but it's not if you have a different type of issue. Or a lot of us are just you know, might not even be SIBO. A lot of us are just missing certain populations, have some sort of imbalance in our large intestines that makes digesting certain foods like this, like really, really hard. So, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's okay to go slow. And that's ultimately, you know, what SIBO is from the diet front is like, if you want to, you know, use diet to help, you know, suppress those symptoms to make you feel better, which there's nothing wrong with because you do need to, you know, let the inflammation die down and get rid of some of those gases. But then, you know, getting from point A to point B to that like ideal gut diet is really, really hard. And, you know, people need to take it very, very slow. And even if you don't have SIBO, like if you notice that you react to some of these foods, just know that it's not a life sentence. Like you can slowly work towards um, diversifying and maybe adding in some some supplements and whatnot that can make it easier. I know digestive enzymes like really help a lot of people who just struggle with certain foods um, mm-hmm. because, you know, you just may be missing some, some digestive fire. Definitely. I love that you said like all that stuff that's constantly being shoved down our throats. Like this is healthy. You need to eat yeah. more of this. You need these supplements. And like, sometimes it can get really triggering, especially as women to like yeah. keep up appearances to like Ugh. follow these trends. But if we're in tune with what's going on with our body, we know that, yeah, maybe it's healthy for you, but it's not healthy for me. Yeah. So I guess like following up on that thought, if, if you were to give any sort of like rules of thumb for anyone who's just like starting to get more in tuned with what's going on with gut health and maybe SIBO, maybe not SIBO, but someone who's trying to get more in tuned with their body that way, what sort of pieces of advice would you send them? Yeah. I mean, I think, for a short period of time, doing a food journal can be effective like one week, maybe two weeks max, because you can start to see, you know, certain food sensitivity is jumping out at you. Um, I would definitely say like pay attention to like garlic and onion, you know, some of those big and legumes, some of those big ticket oleums, because, you know, maybe if you do notice that you're very reactive to those foods and you fit the bill in like every other regard, <laughs> maybe SIBO is something to look into. Um, or just, you know, it can send you down like a different IBS path to explore right. and work with. Um, but I would say like, don't forget about the foundational stuff. Like so many of us just don't chew our food and that's a like going to make it easier for you to get a SIBO, but also it's like, you're, it's going to give you digestive problems no matter what. Um, you know, that's a really essential part of the process, you know, breaking the food down into smaller pieces and letting our saliva, which has digestive enzymes in it, actually do their work. And more importantly, allowing the gut brain connection to kick into gear for your brain to tell, you know, the rest of your organs in the digestive tract that there's food coming and it's time to, you know, like get churning and get going. Um, I think stomach acid is like the underappreciated workhorse of our digestive tract. 
right behind the liver. The liver is the true underappreciated workhorse, but um, stomach acid, you know, we've been taught to be taught to fear it over so many years of ads from pep theme pills. And I know like, because those pills are over the counter, like I have so many friends who are like, Oh, I'm have indigestion. I'm just going to like grab a Zantac. And in reality, like, no, like your stomach acid is your friend. A lot of us experience acid reflux because we have too little stomach acid and our stomach is trying to like churn up more and overcompensate, which can lead to some of those reflux symptoms. And if you just think about, you know, if you're prone to food poisoning, why that happens, like a huge reason could be low stomach acid. So, you know, there are ways to just slowly ramp up your stomach acid. You can take like a pepsin HCL supplement before your meals. You can even just sip a little apple cider vinegar, fresh lemon juice to dilute it in water to like help jumpstart things before meals. That's like a really great, um, a really great practice if you're traveling somewhere back when, I mean, when hopefully we'll all be traveling one day. Um, right. If you're traveling somewhere, you know, that your gut may be in contact with, you know, microbes it's not used to. Um, that's definitely something, you know, to keep in mind as like a protective measure. Um, and then, yeah, the, the not snacking thing I think is really huge. I mean, obviously everyone has different um, blood sugar requirements. And there are, you know, people where this is not possible for them. But again, it's like, it's the way your body is meant to handle food is to have fasting windows. I'm not talking about intermittent fasting, which is so trendy right now. I'm talking about meal spacing. So just like having, you know, let's say four to five hours in between meals. It's not that hard. Um, if you have blood sugar issues, you know, you can slowly work your way there. And I would encourage you to like eat bigger meals and try and have more healthy fats and proteins and less refined carbohydrates and then see if you can't make it, you know, those four hours. Um, but allowing your system downtime to actually digest is really important. And a big misconception is that that happens at night. It does not. Our digestive organs like also go into sleep mode at night and our liver, you know, takes over and cleans our blood and does 101 other different things. Um, so no, if you eat at 10 PM there and you go to sleep at 11, like it's just going to be sitting there probably. <laughs> so mm -hmm. earlier bedtime, uh, sorry, earlier dinner time before, or at least eating a few hours before bedtime is another just like kind of foundational thing. There's really so many things tweaks that you can make to how you eat um, that are really fundamentally more important than what you're eating. Wow. So like if someone's listening right now and they're thinking that they might have SIBO, that this really describes a lot of their experience, like what steps should someone start with if they think they have it and how does one actually go about getting tested to see if they do have it? Yeah. So it's a breath test, um, not a stool test, not a blood test. And you know, I'd say that most doctors are not that savvy on it just yet. It's usually like the holistic doctors, the functional medicine doctors that know what they're doing. A lot of GIs like do not go there in the SIBO department. You know, we're lucky that they're even talking about the low FODMAP diet. But unfortunately, you know, again, it's like amazing that any mainstream doctor is like recommending a diet, but now they're just prescribing it and like, or like go off and live your life. And it's really yeah. dangerous to be on that diet for longer than, you know, two to four months because it fundamentally changes the health of your large intestine, which again, will only mean more <laughs> risk right. for SIBO and other IBS issues, um, even if you're suppressing the symptoms. So, 
Yeah, I would, you can do the test yourself. Some states you can order it yourself, but I would recommend, you know, trying to find a doctor. So many people practice telemedicine now. Um, mm-hmm. If you listen to my podcast, there are so many doctors on there. Majority of them do telemedicine. So if there's someone who resonates with you, you know, maybe they're mm-hmm. someone to work with. I do have to ask you about, um, our listeners know that I'm obsessed with the, the Viome gut health intelligence test, which I refer to as the poop test, Yeah, which I learned about from you. So thanks again. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> um, and I ordered as of yesterday. Yeah. So right. here we are. Yes. Um, and I don't know if you had quite the like spiritual experience with it that <laughs> I had, because I mean, you have with the Hashimoto's and stuff, I know you have like a lot of other factors involved. Um, but I am currently on the like the 90 day result period of my second round of the poop test. And it has like truly changed my life. So wow. I'm like, inter- and you do mention it in the book. I think you also mentioned another like similar gut health test, but like, can you talk about like what you really think about those and how something specific like that can, can be so helpful for someone on this gut health journey? Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you had a good experience. I, I'm like, I don't know if I believe this, um, but you know, <laughs> I think, you know, if you saw results, that's great. I didn't do it to a T I have to say, and I didn't do a second round. Um, mm-hmm. I've done, you know, something called the GI map test, which is, um, I don't know that you need a prescription. You might be able to order it yourself, but it's very complicated. So I think it's helpful to have a practitioner kind of go through it with you. And that's not giving dietary advice, but it's really showing like if you've had a history of parasites, like there'll be some traces of it. It's like kind of a poop DNA, t- a DNA test. Mm-hmm. And I think Viome is like an, I don't, I, they have a differentiating factor. Um, but no, I think it's a great place to start to get more information for sure. Well, I think actually what has helped me the most from the Viome test is actually the supplements they recommended for me. Oh, yeah. And then actually this round, this a lot of the supplements they recommended for me, you mentioned in your book. And reading Great. about them, I'm like, this makes so much sense why they recommended this one for me. So to me, I think that it's even just a great place to get um, very specific recommendations for what yeah. your gut might need without having to go to a specialist or something and... You know, if you have health insurance like me, just pay like hundreds of dollars for not much information. Yeah, you know, totally. Yeah, it, so. it gives you a path to to DIY yourself. Definitely. Sure. So my partner has been diagnosed with IBS since forever, um, and we've traveled around the world together. So I guess I'm wondering, do you have any? I don't know. Do you have any tips or tricks for people with IBS? How to handle it when you're sort of in these unfamiliar territories and different food might like, oh, I don't yeah. know. how do we, how do we deal? Totally. I mean, I have a whole travel supplements, like regimen of recommendations that like you should not <laughs> leave your home without if you are prone to food poisoning and IBS. Um, I, I mean, there are so many different things you could take with you, like activated charcoal for sure. In case you eat anything funky for sure. Like make sure you're like maybe doing digestive enzymes and or um, peptin HCL like for your stomach acid because again like first leg of the labyrinth got to make sure that whatever comes in is killed um, 
And then, yeah, there's some things you can pack just in case, you know, you feel ill and need to like counteract that as much as possible. Um, Saccharomyces boulardii is like a beneficial yeast that's really good for traveler's diarrhea. It needs to be refrigerated, so it's not the easiest thing to travel with, but it's also like very useful if you're traveling. Um, and then, yeah, you can always like take oregano oil or something that's like good for quote unquote killing. And just while you're away, if like you're nervous, if you're in somewhere where like you're definitely going to be like at risk of exposure to something, just, you know, take at least like a, a just like a low dose every day to, to, you know, hedge your bets. <laughs> Great tips. So Phoebe, what is your biggest takeaway from all of this that you've been learning over the years? Like what has stuck with you the most or like what's the most significant lifestyle change that you've made for yourself that seems to have had the biggest impact for you? I mean, stress management, you can't, you can't give anyone a prescription for it. It's really hard to attain as like a busy young professional. Um, but it just really has probably the most corrosive effect on your health, stress, and anxiety. So anything you can do to build into your day to to offset that, like your your health overall will be better. You'll be less prone to mm-hmm. autoimmune diseases, gut health issues. Um, certainly it's beneficial for your mental health, but I guess that is the biggest ha- takeaway. Like your mental health absolutely impacts your physical health and there's no way around it. And I also say, you know, the, the best thing about having done the wellness project right before SIBO, dealing with SIBO is that, you know, all of those lifestyle tools with the exception of like, you know, eating legumes and (laughs) taking probiotics were all like essential parts of the healing process for SIBO. Like they're just, they're just essential fundamental basics. Like you have to get a good night's sleep if you're trying to heal. You have to support your liver if you're like taking a million supplements or antibiotics or whatever, just trying Mm -hmm. to, you know, heal your digestive system. Like your liver needs to be doing its job. Um, Of course, you know, if you're putting, you know, chlorine, you're taking chlorine showers every day and putting like chemical ridden, um, beauty products on your skin every day, like, yeah, it's going to impact your microbiome too. Like there's, and your hormones, your hormones health, so connected to your gut health, just everything is intertwined. You don't have to do everything perfectly, but, um, you kind of can't really miss any of these essential pieces altogether because you're going to find that deficiency is reflected in other places. Yeah, I think that's so important. And it's obviously easier said than done, as we all know. But I think, you know, especially as women these days, like we're kind of like conditioned to put our needs below everyone else's around us. And it can be really hard to train yourself to prioritize yourself in that way and be like, you know what? I'm not going out tonight because tonight I have plans to be on my couch or I I have plans to go to bed (laughs) early tonight or, you know, the same way you might prioritize doing a workout or anything else in your life. I think we don't always give ourselves permission to just prioritize not being stressed as much as we can. And I think I mean, some things we certainly have no control over, but some things we do and we convince ourselves not to, to take those steps all the time. And it's like this, 
you know, I've definitely worked on that over the years too. And it's something you have to practice for sure. Beautifully said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Phoebe, we always like to ask every guest, what is your favorite pizza? Oh, I mean, I don't want to disappoint you guys. I'm a true classic, like Neapolitan margarita, like good quality. I don't even necessarily want the buffalo mozzarella, but I just want good quality mozzarella. I don't like it when it's soggy. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say though, there's, so I'm gluten-free and now there's actually some really good gluten-free crust that like we've evolved. There's some really good options. There's this place in New York called Fornino and they have a pizza called the Al Roker and <laughs> it is so good. I might butcher like the contents, but it's made with Fontina cheese and mm-hmm. mozzarella. caramelized onions i think it has like some sort of salami or maybe it's prosciutto i don't know or both Mm. and it's got hot honey on it just a little bit but it's got like rosemary oil or some sort of herby oil that is actually like that is the ticket right there like the fontina plus the rosemary oil or rosemary Yeah, it's I'm down. truly exceptional. Wow. And it takes a lot for me to recommend like a loaded pie like that because mm-hmm. I am a true plain Jane person. L- extra mm-hmm. basil. Always extra basil. And do they make that gluten-free for you there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. I guess yeah. you, you probably right. have a good amount of gluten-free options living in New York. Yeah. Yeah. We've come a long way. I have a, a yeah. post that you can link to, the best gluten-free New York pizza places. We definitely will. Oh, that's will. perfect. We yeah. Will, that's awesome. Sure. We love pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. We're called Passports yeah. and Pizza for a yep. reason here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Phoebe, do you have anything coming up, or is there anything that you'd like to share to the listeners that we haven't touched on? Sure. I mean, so off the back of the wellness project, I did an online course called Four Weeks to Wellness, which is kind of my compressed version of my year of health, um, help you kind of try things out um, in four weeks. And it's had some incredible results. I'm not a practitioner of any kind. I'm just someone who's um, had a lot of experience on themselves. But now I've had, you know, like hundreds of women come through this program and a few men. And it's really (laughs) incredible just what some of these simple changes can do. I mean, people in just a week without caffeine, sugar, and alcohol, and you only have to do that for a week, you know, like night and day results with their skin and energy. Anyway, so I do it twice a year. It's coming up in May. Just saying. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, And where can people find you online? Yeah, so I'm at feedmephoebe.com for recipes and SIBO info, and you can find my podcast there. If you want to know more about um, the SIBO Made Simple book, you can go to SIBOMadeSimple.com. If you want to know more about the Wellness Project book and the course, you can go to thewellnessproject.com. I'm very decentralized. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, your new book, SIBO Made Simple, it's amazing. Uh, We clearly barely touched on everything you cover in that today. It's, I mean, anyone who is interested in gut health should definitely pick it up. Plus the recipes are great. The recipes on your site are great. Um, the wellness project is also a great place to start. If you're anything like I was a few years ago where you're just feeling out of sorts, which I think (laughs) a lot of us are. Yeah, but thank you so much for getting into all this with us. I mean, our listeners know I'm kind of obsessed with 
gut health and stuff, but you are the reason why. So <laughs> you're the exact right person for us to talk to about all this. And congrats on everything you've been doing. I mean, you've just been crushing thank you. it. Oh my gosh, yeah, thank you. This was a pleasure and honor to, you know, have gotten you on board this, this gut health journey. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for having me. All right, listener question. Great question, aligned with food. Um, this is from Caitlin, aka at. Oh my gosh, am I gonna say her name wrong? Mer, Mercate Ray. I think that's how she says it. Mercate Ray on Instagram. It's my um, either way, Kate. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Caitlin. Caitlin asks. Hey, Caitlin. <laughs> Caitlin asks, if you were a breakfast food, what breakfast food would you be? And so oh, you, you want to guess for the other person what we're going to say. Yeah, right? I think we should guess each other's. What do, what do you think I would say? Okay, I think you're going to say that you are some um, banana, like, protein pancakes or something. Or protein waffles. No? no but that's a, good, that's a good answer. I mean, I could possibly go in that direction. My I feel answer... like the, po- the protein pancakes is like... That's a that's a Sarah thing. Yeah, I do love protein waffles that I make. Um, I just feel like you're a sweeter. You're you're on the sweet side of the breakfast foods. Well, you're on the right track because I was gonna say it's really just kind of like one of my favorite breakfast foods is uh, the breakfast sandwich from Mel's Diner that I love. It's sausage, cheddar, and egg but on really good, thick, homemade raisin toast because you've got that, like, salty, sweet action that I can't live without. You know, it's cheesy, which I can be cheesy. You've got some protein in there. you got egg. It's but like it's a cl- it's still a classic. Like, it's, it's still like, a classic, but... It's, like, classic with a twist, you know? Yeah. And it's, like, well-rounded. You're, you're hitting all your food groups in there. You know, like I'm a person it's who all American. has a lot of interests. You know, it'll fill you up for the day. It's not anything outside. It's not exotic, but it is like mm-hmm. something something special, you know? Yeah, it's like, oh, you think you like this normal thing, but let's like make it a little more interesting. <laughs> and also the like, the like Sarah likes her bougie things unabashedly. So like... The raisin toast makes sense. Yeah. Instead of a breakfast sandwich, she's going to ask yeah. for raisin toast. I don't want so. any old, like, sausage, egg, and cheese sandwich. Like, it's got to be this Oh, one. no, honey. It's got to be this oh, no. one with the good bread, the homemade bread with raisins. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so I what do you th- What do you think I am? I think, uh, for some reason, I want to say an everything bagel with cream cheese and coffee on the side. Okay, that's literally what I was going to say, really? except I, yeah, except everything bagel, right? Cream cheese, but you have to add um, smoked salmon and capers. Oh, like, okay. I wasn't you know? sure how often you did that whole bagel thing. Not that, not that much around here. They don't really offer it around here that much, but if it's, an, if it's, if it's available, I'm going to get it. Yeah. So I love to smoke salmon and a caper situation. Don't really love a raw onion some mm-hmm. people do that on their everything bagels. But yeah, I feel like, okay, in my mind, 
I have, you know, like some seasoning. She's a little, she's a little spicy. She's got a little, she's got a little <laughs> yeah. zip uh-huh. with the capers. She's a little smoky, a little mysterious, a little dark with the smoked salmon. But she's also just a bagel with cream cheese. So, right. <laughs> and coffee on the side is a nice addition. I will take that too. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was fun. Yeah. That was a good question. I think we. we Who doesn't love breakfast well. food? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, uh, thanks for that, Caitlin. That was fun. That I was really what fun. Caitlin would say. Yeah. What would your breakfast food be, listener? If you were breakfast food, what are you? Yeah. We should ask that on Instagram. We should. That would be a good one. And we can read them. Yeah. Okay. okay. Recommendations. All right. I have a food-based one. Me too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something I just made the other day. Uh, it's called... A chili oat crisp. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. It sounds so great. It The recipe, which I'll link to, is on the blog Two Red Bowls, but it's from this new book called To Asia with Love. So it's kind of like a crunchy, oily condiment that you make. Okay. Ooh. Which you can just like blitz up in your food processor together, which makes it really easy. A cinnamon stick, oats, and coconut flakes. Although I just did all, I subbed coconut flakes for the oats since I'm not supposed to be eating oats right now. And then sesame seeds, red chili pepper flakes, which I went very, very light-handed on the pepper flakes because I'm me. And sesame oil. So you put all this stuff in a saucepan together and you basically simmer it for 30 minutes to an hour until all the little bits in it just get this nice, like, toasty brown. Yeah. And, and then when it's, like, at the correct color, you then strain all of the non-oil bits out. So you strain out the oil and let the other stuff cool so it, like, gets that crunchiness. It's almost like a savory granola. And then once that's all cool, you stir it back into the oil. And then this will keep in your fridge for like a few months. And then you can just put it on stuff. But what I've been using it for is I've been making just like a very quick um, kind of like kale fried rice situation for dinner with a fried egg on top. But I've been stirring like two spoonfuls of this into my fried rice at the end. And it just mm. like adds so much flavor. It adds texture from like the coconut and the, the sesame seeds and stuff. And it just, it's amazing. I don't know. Wow. Sounds great. Yeah. And it was like very hands off. I had it simmering on the stove the other night when I was doing other meal prep stuff. And now it's just this like delicious thing in my fridge that I can just stir into stuff. Love that. So highly recommend it. Like, really good uh reward for not much effort and yeah you you gotta love that yeah and the perfect thing to just amp up something that you're throwing together especially something like rice like i feel like that would be so good just to like stir in there so good yeah okay my recommendation is kind of aligned with that um 
I'm going to recommend the Spice House, which is an online, um, like, spice seller. Um, but they have an incredible selection. So as I'm, like, cooking my way through Italy, most of the ingredients I've been able to find around here, but occasionally there'll be, like, some sort of seasoning or spice that's just, like, either like really lame or not the right like type. And because Italian cooking has very like, there's not that many ingredients, but you want your ingredients to be very good. Yeah. I was like, listen, I'm going to invest. I have to make this stuff with smoked paprika and sweet paprika. Did you even mm. know there was sweet paprika? Like mm. what? So anyway, I went on Amazon and I was like, you know what? No, Another recommendation was this Spice House, and um, actually Luke's sister, Becky, had gotten us a few things from there for Christmas, but anyway, they have, like, not only spice sets, but they literally have, like, any spice A to Z that you're looking for. Um, mm-hmm. like, like, I'm looking at their website now, and they have dill pollen. If you were looking wow. for dill pollen, they have it. So I'm telling you, any sort of seasoning you're looking for, I guarantee you they'll have something or something close to it here. And in addition to that, they sell these flat packs. So they're about like a half a cup of a seasoning, which in my opinion, it doesn't sound like much, but seasoning oftentimes goes bad. Mm -hmm. So you would probably go through it by the time it would start to turn. And they're like eight bucks. They're super cheap. Mm-hmm. And they're fresh and they're coming for like free shipping when you order over a certain amount. I think it's like over 49 or something. Okay. But anyway, no, it's no all. I'm sorry. Let me correct that. Free shipping on all flat packs. So you could oh. literally buy one of these flat packs and get it for free shipping. Okay. Like, so I love this website. I was like literally just scouring through all the spices. They also have blends and like gifts if you're looking for that. But yeah, if you're sort of trying to up your your game, go to the Spice House. Nice. All right. Well, thanks for joining everybody. Yeah, thanks for for listening in. I hope you guys learned something today. Yeah. Tell it like go reach order, out to us. Tell us order a poop like. test. Yeah, order a poop test and tell us the craziest thing you learned about gut health from the episode we have itunes reviews to read (gasps) wait okay wait pause everything yeah i think last episode we said that you guys had been slacking but turns out we had been slacking and hadn't checked in a bit (laughs) we had two new ones in the last like month or two so thank you for doing that okay here we go are you ready for a new one. This is from Linny Rose 114 who said, "Love this." <laughs> I discovered this podcast in late 2020 and I love it. These girls have the sweetest relationship and constantly make me laugh. In a year that's been so lonely, they make me feel like I have some new BFFs I can drink with. Oh, that is love so that. sweet. <laughs> I love that's that. All one. we would ever want. Yeah. Oh, that's so Mission nice. Mission accomplished. Yeah. Let's just pack it up. That's it. (laughs) We can retire. Thank you so much, Lenny Rose. Um, Yeah. Cheers. Clink, clink. And the other one's from uh, Miranda, who who won our giveaway. So Miranda is out there doing the most. 
She is number one fan. Here we go. I love this podcast. It brings so much joy to my work day. I love the host. I love. Oh, I'm sorry. Whoop. Bleh. Start over. <laughs> okay. She says my favorite podcast. That's a big statement. Yeah. I love this podcast. It brings so much joy to my work day. I love how the hosts do different content and subjects each episode. It feels like you are just hanging out with friends while listening. I love the pizza pizza tasting episode. It inspired me to go to Trader Joe's and do my own pizza tasting. Keep up the amazing work. I love every episode. Aw. Aw. That's so nice. You guys are so sweet. <laughs> I know. Keep them coming. We'd yeah. love to give you a shout out. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we have a we have a five star rating now. Thank you. Hey. I, I want to know who gave us that one star review. I know. Someone's salty. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, you gotta have one. Yeah. You're not doing it right if everyone loves you. Yeah, true. We may not be for everybody. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and give us a give us a review. We would love to hear what you think about the podcast, what you like and all that fun stuff. Yeah. It also helps us get more listeners. So, yeah. win win. And don't forget to send us your questions on food, travel, gut health, whatever, you know. You can reach out to us on Instagram, we're at Passport Pizza Pod, or you can leave us a voicemail or send us a text message at 717-964-0215. Yes, our show notes with links and details of the products and recommendations from this episode can be found on our website at www.passportsandpizza.com. But you can also email us at hello at passportsandpizza.com. And yes. we have like a form on our website, so you can check that out too. And if you want to see what we're up to in our day-to-day lives, you can give us a follow individually. I'm at Sarah underscore Cornelius underscore, and that's Sarah with no H. And Laura is at Rome and Golightly, and that's R-O-A-M. And last but not least, a big thank you to Will Gingrich for our theme music. Yeah, we'll see you next episode. See you next time. So, yeah. Stay healthy. Work on that gut. That's right. <laughs> get that gut right. Get it tight. Get that get that gut out of its rut, baby. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. Well, first of all, that's cute if you're born in the 2000s. Congrats. Ah, well, I wasn't born in the 2000s, okay. but it's like prime time. Yeah, you know? yes, no, totally. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, like, I was born in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, nine, 91 over here. I'm so. 89. Yeah. Okay, I'm so. 85 over here, grandma of the group. <laughs> yeah. Um,